We're holding in Pirkei Avos Nemaral by Mishnah Ches, which is really the next stage according to the Maral. Again, the principle the Maral told us is that each Zug were co-acceptors of the Torah, they accepted the Torah in partnership. The level and the lessons that they taught us worked in conjunction with each other. They were just addressing it from two different perspectives, like we saw of the positive and the negative, or of the Ava and the Yira. And each one focused on a different area in which a person has to perfect those two mitzvahs. Like we saw Yesi ben Yechon and Yesi ben Ezra spoke about a person's family in the house. And afterwards, Yeshua ben Brach and Nita Rebbe spoke about the relationship with other people. And now we get to the third stage. That is the stage of Yehuda ben Tabai and Shimon ben Chetach. Again, they were chavrusas, they were, they were makabal together from the previous star. And together they learned Klai Yisrael and transmitted the Messiah. Here also we're going to find that the advice that they give is also interdependent. Let's read the Mishnah. Yehuda ben Tabai, Mishimim ben Shadach Kibramayim. Yehuda ben Tabai, Oimer, Yehuda ben Tabai's advice was, Al-Tas, Hatzmachok, Orech Adoyonim. An Orech Din is a person who sets up the case. So don't be like somebody who's Orech the Din, who sets up the court case. And we're going to see what does that mean, is Orech the Din. What does it mean to set up a court case? When the litigants are standing in front of you, you should look at them both as being Rishayim. But when they're no longer standing in front of you, the case has been resolved, the verdict's been given, then you If they accept the ruling, then you can consider them both to be Tadik. That's the one part of the mission of what Yehuda ben Tabai said. Shema B'Shadach says, You should examine the witnesses as much as possible. But be careful what you say so that you shouldn't provide them the way to how to land. And therefore, even from a superficial glance at the Mishnah, we understand here also that Yehuda bin Taibai and Shema bin Shatach are referring to the same area, and that is the area of the Dayani, the area of the courtroom, and they're both giving advice to the judge. Yudav and Tabai talks about how it's meant to relate to the two parties who are having the disputation. And Shemim Chedach talks about how a person is meant to relate to the witnesses, to the Eli. So that introduction, let's see what the Maral says. And he's asked some questions. He says, Pirish, Shaloi, Yihir, Kama Oisim, Le'odom, Shemelamdim, Baredinim, Litton. You shouldn't be like those people who teach the Baladinim what to say. And then they, what we call today like a lawyer, they come to present the arguments on behalf of each party to the, to the judge. So who can't be a lawyer? Are they saying to everybody, don't they? Or they're talking directly to the judge. And the judge himself shouldn't become the lawyer for the one side. The Maral explains, he says, We're talking about the judge. The judge can't act in the capacity of being the Orechtim, of being the one to uh, promote the side of one of them. It's not talking about a case where someone else is coming to base him to present the argument on behalf of the Baladinim, rather the Baladinim to speak for himself. The two people who having the arguments, the parties to the court case, had to come and present their own test to the best team. 
fat with the body with the orchid did would do is the chemi orchid plan the same or much even worse than the best thing. We prepare the arguments and explain them what to say to best and how to present the case to best we prepare for the Dayan and what the person would say. Anoche is you have to bury the Dayan, you have to hear what the Bari did, what the litigants say themselves, and not what someone else is saying in their names. And therefore, not like today where the two litigants don't speak too much and the case is run by the defense or the prosecution. Then the Anoche in Basin is that the Bari didn't have to speak themselves. And the judges to hear what they're saying themselves. And all the Eirich then, all the only ones who stood up in the case, what the parents could do was teach them what to say. Explain to them which arguments they should put forward. And what's wrong with that? Says the Marav, The Musr of the Chachamim in Pirkavis wasn't just for a random uh, prat, a random detail which they mentioned. Rather, there were major points which were, they felt that was a failing which their door needed to hear. And therefore this was their advice to the generation. The way they felt it was most necessary for them to attack in something, for them to say something. And therefore, This was a big stumbling block for people. What the judges were doing. And becoming the the becoming the lawyer, so to speak, for either side. And the, many of the Dayanim were making this mistake of reverting from being a judge to being a counsel for one of the parties. And he says, I feel like We find the Gemara, both by Rabbi Yochan and Rabbi Nachman, and they say, that we made ourselves like lawyers instead of being like judges. In other words, we came, what we said was in favor of one of the parties. So you see that even professional Dayanim, Tzadikim, could claim that they had made this mistake. So says the Maral, you see this was a very necessary lesson to teach because it was obviously a very prevalent mistake. And that's what needs an extra level of warning. So just a few words, a person can switch from being the judge to being counsel for one of the sides. We were asked to be mishpat, and it's obviously something in judgment you can't do, but dinu And halachically that makes a big difference. If something is corrupting the honest, the emes, or the the honesty of the judge, or his impartiality, then that's going to cause a corruption in the justice. That's why he felt this was an important lesson to teach. That's his first thing. When the two litigants are in front of you, you should look at both of them as being Rishayim. Now obviously the question here is, it's obvious that I can't look at them differently. I can't look at the one Baldi and say, I'm sure he's a Tzadik. I look at the other one and get the impression I'm sure he's a Russian because if, I go, if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to be biased on behalf of the Tzadi. I'm going to accept what he says more with more trust. I'm going to doubt his version of the facts less. And if that's the case, 
so then to look at the two parties differently, obviously in setting up a situation where I'm going to render a wrong ruling. But the question is, why not look at them both as tzaddikim? If I have to look at them both the same, so what would be the problem if I look at them both as tzaddikim? Why do I have to look at them both as rishon? So to the Mara explains, and he says, this is also an Azhara Gedailo, and if I'm Yaksha Oren Kiplani is a tzaddik for Russia, he's going to make a mistake. He can consider someone a tzaddik when really he's not. Or a person can have a preconceived notion, he's right, he's wrong, and therefore I'm going to listen to what he says with more with more acceptance, and the other one with more of a critical analysis. And therefore the resolution says the Mishnah, look at them both at the Rishon. Why don't you say with other people, look at them both at the tzaddikim, accept what they both said, and give them both the benefit of the doubt at the tzaddikim. Why is the yachpoes betan isayim, biyadin, koyach al-kafskos? I'll trust each one when I said it, what he says, I'll trust in the kafskos, and then I'll never examine what they said closely enough. But the yerud la'amit ha-sadim. Because the yachpoes betan isayim. And therefore, if I'm not going to look at what they said critically, and analyze it properly, then I'm not going to get to the emiss of the day. When I look at them both as being Rashaim, then I look at each one to see what's wrong with what he's saying, or what's incorrect with what he's saying, what's dishonest with what he's saying. And that's where I'm going to come to the MS of the of Pasalach correctly. And that's not going to happen when I see them both as being Tzadikim. Let's explain a little bit. With a bit of a background. Because we can ask the question, what does the Maral mean? What's the bad? What's the, firstly, what's the case of being an Arikhtin? So it's obvious we're not talking about a case, something to, my, something to what my father's letter once told him, that someone who came to a lawyer and said that I have a court case with this person. And so the lawyer said to him, okay, so tell me what your side of the story. This person said, no, you tell me what I need to say in order to win. We're not talking about somebody like that. We're not talking about a lawyer who's going to invent or falsify a case, which he knows that will help his client win. That's partial. That's after I check it, that's misleading the justice. That's not the case we're talking about. It wouldn't just be also for the dying to do, it would be also for anybody to do. Here's a specific instruction to the, for the dying, that the judge shouldn't be the one to help one of the parties. And the question is, like I said, this is a Mikshal Godel that even Amirayim and Nikshal in. What's it talking about? What's the case where this would happen? Let's give a bit of explanation. Let's elaborate my own words a bit to come to the side of the Mara. And that is, judges have a hard job. They tasked with pasquining a case. But to pass in that case, it's not just knowing the halacha. The first and more important thing is the judges to know and to try and verify what happened. What are the facts? And it's very rare that you'll have a case when no one's arguing the facts. Everyone's agreeing to all the facts and it's just a completely, so to speak, halachic discussion only as what's the halacha in the case. Very often, a big part of the case is trying to determine what actually happened. And to try and determine accurately what actually happened. And why is that a question? Because people see things differently. 
everyone has their own perspective and it can change in some way how people understand what happens or bad people's recollection of what happens and therefore the first job the judges are tasked with is make sure you clear exactly what the case was now what tools do the judges have to do that how the judges meant to understand what happened when they weren't there they weren't witness, they never saw what happens how they meant to understand what the situation was so there are three tools that the judges have. The first one is to listen to the two people talking. Listen to what they say. Listen to how they explain the case. And if necessary, cross-examine them. Get a clear picture from each of the two parties who subject to having this disputation. What do they hold? And then the more clearly I listen to them and analyze what they're saying, so I can hear from what they're saying, to some extent, what really happens. That's like what we saw in the din that the litigants themselves have to come and talk and not send somebody on their behalf because my first source of information is what the parties themselves are saying. So the judge has to listen to that carefully, ask all the necessary questions and clarify as best he can what happened from the words of the people themselves. The second stage is the witnesses. Witnesses are there to provide information to the judge, they sort, and they can give us hopefully impartial evidence. And here also, the judge has to listen to the witnesses, and just listen to them carefully, understand what they say, if necessary, cross-examine them to get the details correct, because that's my second source of information as to what really happens. But there's a third one also. Besides for the attention one pays to what's being said by the two parties, and besides for listening carefully and cross-examining the witnesses, there's a third point as well for the judge to understand the case, and that's what we call uh, the judge's, so to speak, inner compass. As does this make sense? Is this logical? Could this really have happened? And it could be that he's heard what the what the two litigants are saying. It could be he's, he's cross-examined the witnesses, and it all seems like an airtight case. But his inner compass of what's right and wrong tells him there's something wrong with this case. It doesn't make sense that what's all what happened. It's something which isn't uh, doesn't sit well, so to speak. And Allah has brought the Shulchanarach. If a judge feels that's the case, he's not allowed to pascal it. Because if he's in the compass, he's telling him this isn't what happened. There must be something here which isn't accurate. Then I'm doing a injustice by pascaling something which I feel is wrong. It's not enough that the witnesses have corroborated the facts. It's not enough that the arguments which have been made have made the position very clear if the judge isn't convinced that what he's saying is the MS and that's what really happened then he can't pass him the case that's what we call a din mirumi the judge feels that this din is something remote there's something dishonest there's something wrong with it and that's the third so to speak way the first factor the judge has to ensure that he has the accurate uh, understanding of what happened is his feeling is this, is it logical could this have really be Maybe let's explain with the story. A story, a famous story brought down by the Nader Behuda about the Nader He was the chief rabbi of Prague. And in those days, houses were built out of wood, which prevent, prevent, presented a tremendous fire hazard because wood burns very fast. And therefore, it often happened that a fire in one house would spread and could burn down a whole city or a significant part of the city. And of course, besides the tremendous financial loss, it was because of nefesh. Fires which spread quickly can kill people. 
And that's why in many cities in Europe at the time, setting a fire Austin was a, a crime punishable by death. It was considered risking the entire city's population with lighting fires. So the story goes that in one town in the environs of Prague, there had been a fire, and of course the authorities were trying to look for the culprits. Who started the fire? They wanted to, they wanted to kill him. Half the city burned down. They were looking for someone to punish. So a number of non-Jews came forward and testified that they, each one of them testified that they had seen a certain Jew being the one to start the fire. The judges who listened to the case decided that being as the defendant was a Jew, they would ask Gilead of Yehuda, as the chief rabbi of the Jews to sit on, on the bench with him. So he did. And all the judges heard how one witness after the next got off the witness stand and testified how they each one had said, how he had seen the Jew coming and lighting the fire which had burnt down half the city. After they heard all the testimony, so the the judges retired to their chambers, obviously, to discuss the case between themselves. And one of the judges, the non-Jewish judges, said, well, it's an open and shut case. There's so much clear evidence this is what happens that there's no doubt about it. The Jew is responsible. Uh, we should sign a death decree for him right now. And the other judges all concurred. Besides, it'll be with him. So I don't think that's okay. I don't think that's what happened. So the other judges felt okay. He feels obviously he has to try and protect his co-religionist. They said, "But you heard so much compelling evidence. One witness after the next all said the same thing. So where is there any room for doubt?" So the other bureau is reported to have said, "That's exactly the room for doubt." He said to the other judges, "Says gentlemen, picture the situation for yourself. We see that there were lots of witnesses to this incident." So we have six, seven, ten, however many people there were. People all watching as this one Jewish person comes and starts a fire. And this is a fire which is going to spread and do tremendous damage. He says, I don't understand. There's so many people here watching him do it. And no one tries to stop him. And no one tries to put out the fire. And no, they they're they're outnumber him ten to one. They're stronger than he is. Why do they just watch and do nothing? It doesn't make any sense. It can't be. And when he presented the case like that, so then the other judges had to concede that there was a certain logic to what he was saying. And of course, under closer cross-examination, so that they realized that all these non-Jewish witnesses had really conspired, really, just to plot against the Jew and give false testimony about him, and that really they never saw him set the fire. But that's a good example of this idea of what's called the Din Mirumi. Which means you might have evidence which is seemingly airtight, but it just doesn't make sense. Thinking about the case, there's something wrong with it. There's something which is dishonest. Something, so to speak, the, the dying doesn't feel this is correct. Okay, so that's the three ways where a judge, like we said, has to try and ascertain the facts of the case. The first one is listening to the litigants themselves. The second one is listening to the witnesses. And the third one is the judge listening to his inner so to speak, sense of right and wrong is this, do I really believe this is what happened? That's the background to the advice that Yudha ben Tabai and Shimon ben Shetach are giving. Shimon ben Shetach is talking about the witnesses that we'll see next time, Be'ez HaShem. Yudha ben Tabai is talking about the other two. The feel, either when it comes to listening to the 
parties to the case themselves or the judge's feeling of what's right and what's wrong. And if that's the case, let's explain what's the mistake of the Orche Hadayoni, of the judge who takes a certain side in the case. And like you said, this is a big problem, it's something which is common, and it's something which he still shows even Amaroim said about themselves that they had been Nechshalim. And then we can give an example of what, what, what would mean to be an Orechtin in this way. Sometimes a judge hears a case. And after hearing both sides of the case, it's clear to him who's right and who's wrong. It's clear to him who's right and who's wrong. He has no doubt about what happened. He's heard that clearly. He also has no doubt about who's wronged who. And if that's the case, so the mindset of the judge is going to be, now I have to set things straight. I have to compensate the victim whatever way I can. If that's the case, my tendency is therefore to award the aggrieved party however much I can in order to rectify the loss he suffered. And here's where the advice and the instruction comes, don't be like an Arikhtin. And let me explain with a story which really happens. A few weeks ago, I was one of the people, the Rabbanim on the case. There was a certain case which came to our base A couple had gotten engaged. And a mere few weeks before the wedding, the one side found out that there was a serious problem with the perspective with their, their fiancé. Information which the other side had withheld from there and, and then afterwards lied about. Denied that it was there. And one understands why they did that because had anybody known about this information, no one would have gone into such a shidduch. So the side that had been lied to wanted to break the shidduch. You were dishonest. You never tell us information which is of very significant difference to a person's life. We would never have agreed to a shidduch in such circumstances. Halakhically, is that a sufficient basis to break the shidduch? For sure it is. That wasn't the reason they came to the base. They came because they had already put down a deposit on the hall and the band and various other things for the chasm. And now the question was, who's going to take the loss? Who's going to take the loss? Is it going to be by the, that the person who had put down the money was actually the one who had, was the aggrieved party, the one who had been lied to? So he came to Bastin to try and claim that the other side who had lied to him should pay part of the costs. So he came to Basin to claim that he wants the other side to pay half of all the money he had laid because it's not fair that he should pay the whole amount when really the other side was at fault. The other side didn't deny the story. They agreed that they hadn't shared information which needed to be shared. They hadn't told them the whole truth. And we, the Dayan, we all looked at each other because in a case like that, where there's no argument about the circumstances of the case, it's clear who's wrong. Really, they should be paid for everything. You cause this person the damage by being dishonest to them, you should pay the whole cost yourself. And really, the right thing to do would be 
to Paskin that because of your dishonesty you caused them a loss, you should pay back the entire amount of the deposit. Could we pass on that? It would definitely be the right thing. The answer is no. No. Why not? Because the person never claimed it. He claimed he wanted half. He brought the other person to Bastin that the other person should pay him half of his expenses. And we're thinking, why don't you only ask for half? You would have been in your rights to ask for everything. But he didn't. He asked for half. And if that's the case, this interior is to discuss, does the other person have to pay half or not? And on that we can pass, and yes, the other person has to pay half. But to indicate to him, you could have asked for more. Ask for everything, you'll get it. That's being an erich din. You're now coming to, tw- to change the claim the person made. And you feel it's justified, and you feel he deserves it, and you feel if he would claim it, he would get it, and that's correct. And it says, don't be like an erich din. Don't come and help one of the people with their time. You might feel that they're right, and you might feel that they deserve, it's, doing, it's owing them, they deserve that money. But the halacha is that the dintora has to focus on what was asked for. What was the discussion which the Baladini brought up? And for me to add more points to them, that you could have asked for this, and you can also get that, and just say it like this, and you'll get awarded more, that's being an arichtin. And that's the advice of Yudav and Tabe. And as much as the Dayan feels he wants to redress the wrongs that have been done in society, and he wants to set straight, unfair, so to speak, losses, don't make yourself into somebody who's going to take the claim, so to speak, and change it. Because that's not the din anymore. Maybe he deserves it, but if he's not asking for it, that's not what we judge him. We have to focus on what was discussed, and what the Baldin himself was claiming, and we can't add more to that discussion. That's the first piece of advice. The second piece of advice, Maral tells us, why well, he said you should look at both of the both of the litigants as being Rashaim. And the reason is because he says the honesty of being a Dayan is I don't assume anything. Every fact you're going to tell me, I want to have, prove it to me. How do you know? How can you verify that to me? If I'm going to judge them and assume everything they're saying is true, they are never going to subject either of what they're saying to that rigorous scrutiny. And if that's the case, people can say things which aren't completely accurate, which is based on what they thought, but isn't really based on the facts. And I'll accept it because I'm, I'm assuming what he's saying is right. And it could even be he feels what he's saying is right. That's not my job as a judge. My job as a judge is as much as I can, if I'm trying to use what you're saying to me, to establish the basis of what really happened, then I want everything you're saying verified. You make a claim, you say a statement, you prove so, you say something, at a point, prove it, show it to me, explain it to me. Because that way it brings me to, if I'm using the words of the litigants themselves as the way to try and understand the case, then I have to check every word that they say. Don't assume anything. Don't give them the benefit of the doubt of something that you haven't proved yourself because it could be that that's something which is an embellishment. It's not really the case. And that's why the more I look at them both as Rishoyim, which means I'm going to not assume what they're saying is right, I want them to prove it to me. Then I'm doing a better job of building how strong their case is. How much is what they're saying true? 
and how much is their opinion, and how much can't they back up. And then that gives me the basis to build the case out of their claims. Because that way, what I know that they've said and can prove, then I can assume it happened. What they've said and can't prove, then I have to look for the question mark. Maybe that's just the way you thought. Maybe that's just one perspective. And being as, like I said, that's one of the only tools the judge has to try and understand what really happened before he comes to giving a psak. Therefore, the way to do that is The way to do that is look at everything they're saying as something which needs to be proven. As something which needs to be verified. Because that's the way to get to the clarity of what happens. So, so far in the European time we've seen two points. The first one is even if the judge is convinced this is what happens, that doesn't give me the right to go beyond the, the parameters of the case to try and, and redress the wrong done. I can decide somebody's right, but I'm limited to his claim. And the second point, if I'm trying to use the tainas of the body dinim to try and work out what really happened, so then I have to look at each one in the most critical way possible to try and verify how much of the taina is really the Matthias and how much is interpretation or perspective, whatever it may be. That's the first part of the mission. That's the first part of the mission. Yudha bin Tabe's instruction to the Dayanim about how they, to use those two of the three tools that the Dayan has, his own feeling and, so to speak, the information he gets from the Bayridinim. And the last point, and that is what one learns from the Adim, that's what his part, the Shum ben Shedach, contributes, and we'll see in the future of Avad, how to, how to work on the information that the Adim tell a person as a source of something that he can rely on as what really happens.